All right. Welcome back to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. This is your host, Byron Horton, and we've got a, a pretty cool episode lined up. A guy I've been wanting to talk to for a while. Um, really like what he does, like uh, the, the brand he works for, and, and have a lot of respect for him. And uh, that would be Chad Sylvester with, with Exodus Trail Camera. Ch- Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, I'm excited to sit down and chat for a little bit. Yeah, and, and for anyone, I don't know why they wouldn't, because we kind of service oh, the DIY crowd, the, the hardcore whitetail guy. Uh, Exodus launched a podcast, oh, phew, this has been a couple years ago, but it, it is definitely in my top three as far as I push the download. I, I listen to all of them. There's a lot of good information from, from high caliber deer hunters, and you guys pull a lot of good information as hosts, so you guys do a great job over there. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's, uh, you know, there was the podcast space is, you know, it's really competitive and flooded. There's a lot of good podcasts out there. And, uh, you know, as far as a modern age deer hunter, I can't think of anywhere um, else that you can gain as much knowledge or information from various people at the, you know, the press of a button um, outside of podcasts and YouTube. So, you know, we started that a couple years ago. Um, just to kind of facilitate the need to focus, you know, some more technical stuff around trail cameras. Um, it seemed like, you know, everybody's interviewing, um, you know, the top whitetail hunters and talking tactics and strategies. But, um, you know, as far as trail cameras go, it just seemed like it was a tool that, or is a tool that everybody uses. Um, but no one really is putting information out there on a high level of how the things actually operate and how they work. So that's kind of a, that's kind of our niche and the reason we started that. Yeah, no, I, um, I like that. And then I know you guys have also expanded like into the uh, YouTube space, which has been a good ad and, and putting out some cool stuff and, and obviously cribs exploded and everybody wants yeah. to, to kind of tune into that and, and, and listen to you guys uh, interview, not interview, but walk through these guys house and tell stories of these big bucks off the wall. It, it's a, it's a cool concept that I know has exploded. Yeah, that's, that's uh, kind of overnight success. We've been doing that for probably eight, oh, 10 months, 11 months now, maybe close to a year. And uh, it seems like, everyone everybody's really enjoying that including us so it's cool yeah so uh you have been out hunting here the last couple days um hunting some big wood stuff and i think that's what this topic or or this discussion is really going to be centered around um what uh i guess first and foremost we had the weather front push in like what did you see down there kind of give me just a cliff notes of your couple days in, in, in southern ohio so I, uh, I had plans to hunt the backside of this front. Of course, we're in the backside of the full moon. So we had cool temps in the morning, um, the backside of that full moon, really trying to focus those hunts around um, possible betting opportunities in the morning. Um, but what I saw while I was there was a lot, of, a lot of fresh scrapes popping up after that rain event. So I spent most of my time scouting on Monday. Uh, put on about three or four miles and we're, it's really just scouting nighttime sign looking for uh, different things on bottoms and tops and that's exactly what I saw fresh shrubs fresh scrapes um, opened up directly after that rain front on um, Sunday that moved through Sunday night and um, just a ton of sign laid down I think I saw in one bottom 10 or 11 fresh scrapes and a couple rubs open up just in that 12-hour window so sign is starting to be laid down um, now, of course, like I said, most of that stuff on the tops and bottoms, I typically try to stay out of there, but uh, it's a good place to run cameras for inventory. 
and uh, a good place to scout for sign, even though most of it's kind of typically yeah. being laid down at night. Let, let me ask this. You said, you know, uh, roughly 10, and 10 to 11 scrapes, rubs all along this bottom. What kind of mm -hmm. distance, like, because a bottom can run for a mile. It, it may be a concentrated yep. area, but clearly what kind of distance between all that stuff are we talking? We're talking about 200 yards. So that bottom actually is about a mile long, runs north and south. But my focus there, there's, a, there's several points that kind of drop down together where that bottom kind of opens up. And when I say open up, that bottom's probably – 75 yards wide. So it's very, very tight. And that next back down between the two ridges, but where those points drop down together, uh, there's some bedding opportunities there. And from the map, it looks like it's a good makeup of a thermal hub where your thermals are going to drop down around those points. And, um, you know, deer can go down there and gather all the scent from, from yeah. those ridges. So the focus was that thermal hub and that's, you know, it played out exactly, um, you know, with boots on the ground, it played out exactly the way it would in my mind. Um, several trails coming down from those points with those fingers in that thermal hub. And then that's typically, well, that's where I saw that first scrape and then headed North um, throughout okay. that bottom. There was just, you know, small perimeter scrapes every, I'm going to say every 20 yards. Okay. Now in that couple of days of hunting, did you see any bucks on their feet or anything? I have yet to spend some time in the big, well, no, I take that back. I have spent a little time in the big woods, but, but I haven't have been there in the last couple of days. No, um, did not see any sightings of bucks on their feet. Um, I did have a chance to pull some, some cards while I was there. Yeah. Um, spe spe specifically Monday while I was out scouting and there, there was some daylight activity on the third. Um, there's a, a primary community scrape there around two bedding points that, um, several bucks had kind of traveled through there on that bench and yeah. opened up, uh, opened up scrape, worked a licking branch. What about, um, oh, even like late September with our opener, did you have any, anything on trail cam that was daylight active? Even, and, and Chad, I, I think I should phrase this. I'm also interested in the 130 and up club. Like I know you chase some real, real big bucks, um, but, but I think for the audience, for the general person kind of looking for, for a slightly ha higher caliber buck, um, anything daylighting-ish um, in that, that opener time frame in the big woods? Because I traditionally don't hunt early season big woods. Yeah, there was some daylight activity. Um, you know, the weather has been phenomenal for the first two weeks of the season. And I, I'm correlating most of that daylight activity to those fronts rolling through with these really cool temps. Um, back on the 20, I'd have to go back and look at the specific dates, but that time frame between the 27th and September 30th, there were three different bucks that came in and um, hit that community scrape I was just talking about in the daylight above, it above 130. Okay. Um, hitting the scrape morning, evening, evening. Yeah. Okay. All, that, evening, all yeah. that activity was evening. Yep. So that's, okay. that was, uh, the front side of that moon, front side of that full moon and typically, um, or at least the cameras were telling me that that activity was an evening time. Sure. So I know, um, last year you, you also embarked on like an early October trip down, you know, into the big woods. Cause it's a haul for you. You know, you've got more, uh, more ground to cover to get to your hunting destination than say, I do, um, located kind of more central part of the state. Let me ask this, uh, do you, obviously you're doing this, this commute, you're, you're investing in some significant miles in time. Uh, I got to believe that's because you've seen on your trail cameras over the course of time here that uh, uh, October cold fronts and even earlier half of, of season can be good down there. Is that safe to assume? Yeah. And, you know, I'm making those trips based on the weather fronts and historical trail camera data. So, what I'm doing in the big woods is a little bit different than probably what um, 
most guys are probably after um, because I have the opportunity to run so many cameras. We have a really good catalog of inventory and data to pull from, and I'm really focusing on one or maybe two deer um, in the big woods. So I'm correlating last year's trail camera data, those daylight activities, um, those day daylight pictures or daylight videos with the hunting opportunities that are coming this year with, with the weather fronts. And that's really what I'm, what I'm trying to key in on and, and plan these trips because it's a, it's almost, almost a 700 mile round trip for me to, to yeah. get where I'm from home to the hunting. My hunting now, spot. were you uh, sleeping out of your truck down there or in solo hunting? Um, yeah. <laughs> let, let, let me ask a little sidebar question because uh, I have done some out of state hunting in the big woods alone. Um, you know, I, hunting alone and camping like that, like mentally, it, you know, it takes a, a certain breed. Do you have any either tips as far as the camp life is concerned, if you're doing a two or three day weekend and then mentally, like what, what kind of helps you keep grinding and keep hunting hard solo versus kind of uh, sometimes when you're solo like that, you know, you can fall apart. I feel like mentally it, it takes a different breed to, to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Big woods in general, whether you're with people, you know, hunting, hunting partners or not big woods, it's it mentally is it's the, to me, it's the, that's the hardest side of it because um, you know, opportunities are far and few in between. And when you screw them up, you don't know when the next one's going to be there. So it is a mental grind, like you said, and doing it by yourself, it, it is, it is what it is. But in my situation, I don't know if I have any tips or um, any advice for people other than just stay focused on the task at hand and, and what, um, you know, what you're trying to do there. And that's, that's really what I, I try to focus on. I'm looking for a certain caliber deer and my only opportunity at that kind of deer is on public ground. And I have enough time vested down there where it's a real possibility of having another chance at the specific deer that I'm hunting. So, you know, it, it kind of is what it is. I know that probably, you know, nine, nine sits out of 10, um, are, are going to be a failure, but you know, it's just moving, you know, kind of crossing that off your list and, and moving forward to that, that one, that one opportunity that you might get. Yeah. Now, um, what about like the camping, hunting out of the truck aspect of, of doing like a small two to three day? Do you have any like gear item you really like, or, Hey, I have found this to just be so awesome when you're doing these small little trips. Well, the biggest thing for me is really trying to stay organized. Um, so there's a little bit of planning ahead of the trip, going through my gear and making sure I have everything, which I did not do this last trip. And um, what'd you forget? My pocket arm, my pocket arm. So we, uh, a couple, the week or a couple days before I left, I was out filming Jason. Um, we would just went out to, you know, a property around home and uh, must have fell out of my pocket or something when I was climbing down that night. So I didn't, did not have that, but Staying organized really is the biggest thing, making sure you have everything because when you're that far away from home, um, you need to be prepared because you just can't run to the store and, and, and grab something, yeah. um, you know, if you forget it. So staying organized is a, is a, is a big deal. Um, and then for me, there isn't really no comfort. I'm sleeping in the back of the truck. Like I'm not really packing food. I always bring water and, um, you know, a couple canisters to, to take into the timber with me but you know it's, it's protein bars for breakfast protein bars for lunch protein bars for dinner um there's nothing nothing really uh about comfort okay. for me at least okay do you do any uh coffee uh anything like that oh man but, no, um, no coffee okay okay i uh i that's i, I it's my a last bit, tr say that again 
I, you know, if, if I'm more than just a couple days, um, it, that changes for me a little bit, you know, obviously I don't know if you could keep that pace for a five, six, seven day hunt. It, that's going to change a little bit, but for a two, short two or three day trip, um, you know, I can suffice with just that. That's true. Okay. Yeah. Valid point there. So, um, I guess let's kind of transition into some, some generic, oh, deer hunting talk of, of the big woods. Um, and then we'll, we'll kind of, I'll dive into some of my, my, uh, questions related to trail cams as well. But like, you know, I think something that I've kind of come, you know, seen myself as a deer hunter look at a little more, especially in the last two years is, the big woods deer, it is a different animal than a lot of the, the Midwest farm country deer. Um, some of which I think can make it easier to hunt. Some of which I think makes it very hard to hunt. And what would you say are some of your eye-opening type thoughts you, you've seen here between the podcast discussions with like guys like Steve Shirk, um, as well as a handful of other big woods guys, but also you, you personally run a lot of trail cams in the big woods. And, and I'm sure you've seen things where you're like, huh, that's definitely not something I could do or, or to hunt these deer. I've got to do it tremendously different than probably 80% of the Midwest farm country guys. Well, I think the biggest eye opening thing for me, and it took me a couple of years to figure out um, is the way deer bed there in the big woods. And I don't know if it's, isolated to the areas that I hunt, but bedding seems to be more random in the big woods. And I'd say random, I don't mean it's just everywhere. Um, but bedding's not isolated like it is in ag ground or uh, maybe in swamps or areas like that. So there's, when I say there's bedding opportunities, that those are bedding areas that I know that deer are in. But there's also on a ridge, there might be four or five six different spurs or fingers and deer are bedding on all of them. So there's not a single bed or two beds that um, a specific buck may use. And I also am starting to realize that deer there are starting or are bedding um, as much or those locations are um, in areas based on visuals and thermals as much as the wind. Yeah. And, you know, Dan Infall talks a lot about those leeward side ridges or the leeward side of a ridge and that, that upper one third and the wind tunnel. And that's the way I started to hunt that area. And what I quickly realized was regardless of what the wind, the predominant wind direction is, it's going to be doing something different on each little spur or um, ridge that you're actually on. So even though that you might be calling for a west wind, you know, you could be on the west side of a ridge with a, uh, a, you know, a point running east and west, and that deer might be on a different side of that point, not necessarily the leeward side based on the predominant wind, because the wind is wrapping around that point and doing something different where he might be catching a south wind yeah. um, on, a, on a western point. And that's exactly, the deer that I'm hunting is, is doing exactly that. So yeah, I, it, I, chased, um, I chased a deer last year in an area where the bowl system, I, I hadn't... I hadn't done a lot of wind scouting. I think uh, that's kind of a lazy point of mine to improve on in the off season when I'm putting a lot of boots into the ground in January, um, February timeframe is, is in, keep doing the wind scouting stuff a little more. And, uh, but I couldn't hunt that whole ridge system when the wind would get somewhere above seven miles an hour because it really started doing some bounce backy type stuff. Um, so that's, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think the average guy looks at a topo says, these are all leeward, you know, points in, in the big woods. This is where the deer should be, but you kind of probably have to know um, through, through scouting what the bull system really does. 
Yeah. And there's, there's no way to look at a map and look at the weather and figure that out. The only way is to do exactly what you said is to wind map and wind scout those areas while you have boots on the ground to see, you know, what the wind is doing. There's a spot that, um, that I'm focusing on right now that regardless of what the wind does, you have some type of south, southeast, southwest wind always. Doesn't matter if the wind's coming from north, doesn't matter if it's coming from the west, the wind is always consistent with some kind of southerly variation. And, you know, without wind mapping that or hunting it, um, dropping your milkweed, you would never, you would never know that. You would never, you know, you would look at a map and say, okay, well, the wind's coming out of the, you know, the northwest. This is what it's going to be doing around this point. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's just not the case. Um, but so that's, you know, betting is um, one thing that's really opened my eyes in the way that deer use, um, use the terrain to bed based on visuals and thermals. And then the other thing is, you know, you mentioned that big woods hunting can be a little easier. Um, I, we actually see a lot of daytime activity, um, kind of not, not random, but deer tend to move, um, uh, at least on, in my opinion, more in the daylight at uh, midday without having any cause. Um, and I think that's part of that is bedding opportunities like those random beds of deer will bed down in the morning uh, based on thermals and then as that wind speed picks up and the wind starts to change those deer actually are getting up um, browsing on acorns or you know uh, green briars or whatever moving to another location to to change bedding so if you can key in on that stuff um, there are opportunities there midday for for daylight sightings and that's exactly that happened last year on a sit um, late October, I think it was the 23rd or 24th. We had an encounter with a pretty big deer Yeah, that I think was, I think was doing just that he was bedded down in the morning. Um, you know, the wind started the wind as the sun started to rise, the wind, wind speed started to pick up and then that deer was shifting. Yeah. I remember, I remember the encounter. Um, would you, uh, I guess, um, Oh, one thing you said there was a visual advantage in bedding and I would say all my big wood sheds, they all have a visual advantage. And then sometimes, and I would be curious your, your thoughts on this, having hunted in the big woods, sometimes when we see the wind somewhere below seven miles an hour, we almost just say, forget the wind, just, just hunt the thermals. You know, they're going to, they're going to kind of suck or stay stagnant, uh, almost like a downward motion that, that first hour ish. And then obviously once, especially during the rut, cause we traditionally do a lot more big wood stuff late October, November. It's like, you know, okay, nine o'clock or, or two hours after sunup, it's it's an upward pull all day. Um, would you say you've seen somewhat a, a similar thing? I, I'd be curious to to hear your thoughts on on that. When the wind's below seven, do you just go thermals, or is there a line for you there? No, you're you're 100 right. Um, yeah, with those lower wind speeds, the thermals are, are are a much bigger play than than actual wind. And I'll take that a step further. Even if I'm on the areas that I'm in are they're really pretty steep, um, a lot steeper than, than, than most whitetail, uh, whitetail country or whitetail habitat, I think. Mm -hmm. And I've also noticed like on those steeper facing Western slopes that the ther your thermals are going to drop a lot longer than what they typically would, um, on a less gradual grade. And, and what I found out was, the sun in the typically in the fall, the sun is so low in the sky and so far to the south. If you're on a like a northwestern facing bowl or northwestern facing slope, that's almost like dark timber. Yeah. And the sun is not hitting those hillsides. And 
I have a spot that the thermals will drop almost all day. It's like two, three o'clock in the afternoon. And when the sun gets far enough in that Western sky, it hits the hillside and your thermals will rise for two or three hours. And then when the sun drops again, you know, your thermals are going to pull. And that's one of the areas that uh, we have the most daylight activity. Um, so that's one of the things I've, I've learned last year and I'm trying to duplicate that by, I guess, digital scouting or e-scouting or finding benches um, in and around security cover or betting opportunities on those, on those Northwest or Western facing slopes and on those, on those very steep, uh, steep grades. Okay. And it's the exact, op exact opposite on those um, Eastern facing or Southern facing um, slopes. So your thermals are going to rise for the majority of the day. Yeah. Now something on a recent podcast of yours that kind of has me thinking was Heath Cisco, and I need to call the guy. Um, he talked about, Oh, you know, letting the deer have an area until mid morning because he believes a lot of those deer are low at sunrise. Now I know he does hunt some stuff that kind of mixes with ag. And I don't know if that, if he was referring to the ag fields being low or, or if, if that was just a big woods conversation, because a lot of those scrapes and a lot of those, those trails where they are probably crossing between the different ridge systems. I almost wonder if, if I need to look at, 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 you know, prioritizing, lower access for for morning hunts you know those deer are down there but like if i come in high my sense blowing to them yeah you're almost screwed either way you know right right did you have That's, any additional thoughts about where you hunt compared to that comment by heath you know it's really tough because the you know going back to the bedding being kind of a little more sporadic and where i am there's food everywhere i mean yes that that sit tuesday morning i could have filled a five gallon bucket up with with white oak acorns i mean there there's just acorns on every every ridge there's um there's browse everywhere super high stem count stuff so access is so damn hard because you you typically don't know where those deer are coming from and their movements are you know so much longer their home ranges are so much bigger than where they are in um in on ag ground so I don't have an answer for you as far as, as far as access. There's, um, you know, if I'm hunting a specific deer, typically I do not walk in it in the dark. Okay. So I will wait, I will go a certain length, um, and basically try to get a visual on the area, maybe three, 400 yards away from where I want to hunt. Yeah. And as great, gray light comes up, I'm using my binoculars to make sure that deer is not in that area. So I'm not bumping them. And then I'm, I'm, I'm moving in. Um, but as far as accessing from the top or bottom, it's, it's, um, it's, it's really tough, man. Yeah. Um, let me ask this, cause this is a, a topic that has been discussed um, both. Well, I, I had a conversation with Heath, but then it's kind of a reoccurring theme, I think in some of the Steve Shirk stuff. Um, and I think me as a deer hunter kind of messed up on this and in the mobile craze, the power of the first time sit, don't get me wrong. The power of the first time sit, it, it changed my deer hunting life forever. Yeah. But I think in the big woods and where these deer are more nomadic, I almost need to dial it back a little bit and be a little more comfortable, especially, you know, I'm hunting the rut more, more so than the necessarily, you know, single missions in October, but like being okay, hunting the best bench, saddle, hogback, you know, these terrain type features, being okay to throw a few sits at that, or, or maybe there's a good uh, hub scrape in an area that is clearly getting attention, but like I hunted it, didn't see anything, maybe give it another try thinking, you know, he didn't come through in the next 24 hours. Now he's got to come through in the next 24 hours. Um, is that something that the, I, I feel like you guys have pulled and opened my eyes to that concept? 
Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it, again, it took me a while to kind of, to kind of figure that out. Um, and really it became that conclusion from running so many damn cameras and, and looking at that annual data, but I'm, uh, I've done both. I've done it both ways. When we first started hunting down there, I would sit in a saddle and I would sit there for five or six days and just wait and wait and wait and wait. And it drove me crazy. And ultimately I didn't find any success, but, um, and then the following year it did the same, did the exact opposite scout for fresh signs, set up on fresh sign. And, um, you know, maybe a morning sit, maybe an evening sit, and then you're moving, moving on. And what I found was that, you know, looking at historical trail camera data, unless you really have some type of destination location, like a primary scrape or, um, something of that or a long-term food source that those deer are really nomadic and you could be a, just a day behind them if you're you know hopping around to that fresh sign so I do mm-hmm. think if you have a destination destination location and you have some trail camera data around that area I do think time and stand in those spots um, is the way to go and that's that's the approach that I'm taking this year is time and stand now that doesn't mean I'm sitting in the same stand you know watching a, the same scrape for five or six days in a row. Um, but I am going to be bouncing around that area, um, or that terrain feature based on, based on what the trail cameras are, are saying and what the signs saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, Oh, I, you know, that, 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 Oh, Steve Shirk talks about like the three day rule. Like, um, and I think that's something I need to look at because I think, you know, a lot of my stand sites that I've marked on my maps are, are, are terrain type features and, and, Oh, um, Sturgis talks about this. You look at those terrain type features where maybe it's habitat meets a terrain feature and it just forces deer into a bow killable distance. You know, it right. takes big movement types and essentially this deer, regardless if he's working somewhere in this ridge, this area tends to pinch him down for X, Y, and Z. And, and hopefully you got a few factors working for you, whether, you know, like we just talked about. And I think, I think something I need to do more of is, is sit that location two or three times if the surrounding sign says there's a good one in there. Um, have you ever seen on your trail cams where you've hunted a set like uh, some sort of terrain type feature a day, then you pull that card a couple weeks later and sure enough, if you'd have hunted it three or four days over that 14 day period, you could have got a crack and that deer didn't seem too bothered by say the ground scent or the, the scent that you left there from hunting it. Yeah. So I'll give you two examples. Um, there's a spot that we had found oh, back in 2016 and we've had a camera there um, every year during, during, during the rut through. So we'll go ahead and put a camera in mid October and uh, you know, pull it at the end of the year. And it's a, it's not really a saddle, but it's an area. It's a, a spur off of a point or a spur off of a main ridge that drops down really steep and flattens off and right at that point uh, where it flattens off. So if you were looking at that, it would look like almost a lazy L like, you know, the, the, the tall part of the L is kind of laid back and right at that point or that, um, that where the ridge starts to flatten off, there's a bench that leads to that. There's a scrape right there. And every year there's about a 10 day window where there's bucks just cruising that in the daylight. And if you were wanting to just go kill a 130 plus, and if you would sit there for seven days, you would have shot or gotten an opportunity at a 130 plus every single year. And, and for, for some ungod, ungodly known reason, none of us has ever went in and hunted that not a single time. We, we actually went in and, prep that spot there's a ladder section there in a stand it's been there for three years no one has ever went in and hunted it oh man that's crazy 
So that's a, that's a spot where, you know, time and stand absolutely will pay off. The trail camera data says that um, this year, somebody will be sitting that. Okay. But the reason why we haven't is because typically we're trying to chase a single deer there. So on the backside, another example of that is I went in and hunted um, a bench with a, with a primary scrape, the late part of, I'm trying to think when that was the 29th and 30th of September. Okay. So um, again, a lot of historical data, trail camera data with that spot. I went in, hunted that spot on the 29th. I climbed out of my stand at 7:45, some somewhere right, you know, right at right at last light, and um, the target deer showed up there 40 minutes later. Um, so he showed up at 8:30, somewhere around that time. Um, and I went in and looked at that area, scouted that area on the second trip down there, and he has not been back since since he cut my boot my boot track. So interesting. So he caught one whiff. He caught he caught something. And it was obviously yeah. very fresh being 45 minutes old. Right. Right. He has, has not been, been has not been back. I have four cameras soaking in that area and probably a 500 yard stretch. Um, and I pulled most of those cards on, on this last trip and he has not been back one time. So I, the deer is not gone. Don't get me wrong. He's not gone. He's still there. Um, but for whatever reason, after cutting that boot track, he has not used that bench um, a single time. So I had to change strategies a little bit and hunt him at a higher elevation on a, on another trail this past trip. But, um, those are just two examples of, you know, it can go either way. It really sure. just depends on situation. Well, and notice the, the first one is kind of geared more towards, uh, somebody going on a rut trip or, or somebody like myself, like, dude, like, don't get me wrong. I target certain deer, um, occasionally. And, and I've, I've invested in trail cams a little more here in the last two years. So now I kind of have some acquired targets versus, years past, I'm like, well, this is the best sort of, you know, this is the best area to be in from habitat, from, from pressure, from terrain. I was like, surely a 130 plus deer should come through here. And, right. and so like, yeah, it, it definitely interesting, interesting thoughts there. Let me, um, Chad, let me kind of ask some, some trail camera, real life data uh, questions to you as far as, um, oh, looking here, it's October. Um, let's, let's talk about big woods bucks on their feet in daylight. Um, is it, is it something that is strictly weather related and, and, and we'll keep this time frame before October 20th. Um, is it, is it just a weather game at this point? Like, like what, what do you see from, from five years of trail cams, big wood stuff? Well, for, for me to plan a hunt or to make that trek, um, just to hunt a couple of days, it is going to be around the weather because it, yeah. in my opinion, is going to increase your odds. But, but we have plenty of truck camera pictures, videos and data saying that it's not just weather related. Um, there's plenty of, you know, we have a, plenty of videos. Like for example, there was a, a card that I, or camera I had checked um, on this last trip and there were two daylight walkers on October 2nd. So there's nothing spectacular going on around the weather, just deer coming in um what time type of feature uh one was around 4 p.m and the other was at six but still an evening type game yeah okay yeah um let me ask about the the evening morning split let's say pre-october 20th um is it strictly an evening game and, and these are rough numbers you're you're shaking your head what are you what are you saying here 
rough numbers. Big woods deer, morning game, early early to, to mid-ish October. What, what are we saying? Uh, as far as what we're getting on camera, like the split? Yeah, well, yeah, like, yeah, just, uh, uh, yeah, if, you, if you've got, you know, all this data, obviously, like, but, you know, you could say, hey, probably somewhere around 80, 90% of our daylight, 130 plus bucks. Is it an evening game? Is tremendously more than a morning or is it more split than, than may surprise people? I don't know. Um, that's a good question. I would have to take, I mean, I'll spit some numbers out and it's probably going to be a guess because I don't think we've ever compiled yeah. all the daylight pictures and really got a percentage on it. But um, I would say it's probably like 60, 40 evening, morning. That's, um, that's more 50, 50 than I thought it was going to be. And, and, and I don't need real, real data. You, I, you look at, at pictures enough. I mean, you, 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 your job is the trail cam company. Right. Right. Okay. No, I think um, there's more morning activity than what I think most people realize. And I think that's partly because those deer bedding down um, wherever they're browsing or eating at at night and then getting up and moving um, bedding locations as the wind speed changes, the sun rises. Um, and most of, you know, most of our trail camera lo locations now that are not revolving around the rut are there's, they're not just terrain features. So I'm not just putting cameras in a saddle and just saying, okay, well, this is the, this is a good saddle leading from one ridge to the next. And I'm hoping to catch a movement. That's not typically where we're getting, you know, you'll get pictures there. Um, but most of the stuff that we've seen there are typically at night. So we're looking for those terrain features that have some type of added um, bonus. So whether it's a scrape, whether those, uh, it's a small stand of white oaks or red oaks, depending on the time of the year. So we're trying to couple those terrain features with other influences that are going to attract deer to that terrain feature. Um, not just the terrain feature itself, unless that terrain feature is leading to a couple betting opportunities. Okay. Uh, let me ask this. What about rain events? Um, do you feel that, that, you know, you see the rain come through and, and quit in the night that next morning, is that on fire? If the rain quits, let's say noon, two, three o'clock in the afternoon, those evenings tend to be on fire. Are you seeing a significant increase there? Yep. Yep. On, uh, on, on activity around scrapes, 100%. And that's, that's what I focused this last trip on. Um, you know, a PM PM rain shower from four till um, let's say six or so. So getting in that stand location, sitting in the rain and then waiting for that rain to stop and, and triggering, uh, triggering that movement. Yeah. I'd say, um, my most killable buck actually, um, is, uh, tends to favor this scrape area in the morning, uh, from summer data to now, um, so, so that's kind of encouraging. Oh, let me ask this, uh, big woods question, general concept from what I have found, and, and this is a small sample size, cause I don't have the trail cam history. I have actually seen a decent amount of deer where I find the sheds and then I'll get late summerish trail cam picks and full blown hunting picks. Like I don't see necessarily as much of a, Oh, you, you hear the guys in farm country talk about, Hey, that deer could move five miles. Um, but I've seen a few deer and chased a few deer where they stayed right where, right where I found the sheds. Um, do you see that being a, a common theme in the big woods or is it still 50, 50 and I just don't have a good sample size. We've seen it both ways. Okay. Um, the, the deer that I'm hunting right now, he shows up the end of August and he is there until the first week, maybe the last part of May, first week of June. And then he's gone until the end of August. And it's been like that for the last, since he's been a three-year-old. So the last three years, he's done the same thing uh, year over year. But when then we also have deer that um, 
their ranges never shift. But I think partly that's because of the habitat. So typically those deer that are not shifting, their home ranges are around fresh new clear cuts. So there's, there's summer food there. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of browse. And then adjacent to those, those clear cuts, there's, there's, um, there's some type of oaks or something else that they're eating in the fall. So there's no need for them to really shift. They have uh, summer food. And when that, as that, those clear cuts start to dry out and turn brown, similar to like what a bean field would, um, those deer actually bed in those clear cuts, depending on um, the structure and the elevation and, and, you know, what's available there. And then they're going from, so that food in the summertime is turning the bedding in the fall. And then they're going to, you know, browse on acorns or whatever food source that they're eating in the fall without ever shifting, um, shifting that range. It's interesting you, you pointed out the clear cut factor as far as deer that maybe stay a little tighter. The three deer I'm thinking of where I have match sets found both sheds and then the summer picks and the, and the fall chase kind of picks all within, let's say, quarter mile of clear cuts. So, yeah. so maybe there is something to that. If you, you know, if you guys are listening and you find a pair of sheds near a clear cut, there could be something to that. That deer's, you know, kind of likes that area. Um, it sounds like, um, Chad, let me, let's, let's, let's talk about late October here. Cause literally it's, it's not terribly far away. Um, from, from, uh, an October 20th and onward perspective, one, I'd like to hear your, your thoughts around what maybe starts happening in the big woods for, for a hunter to capitalize on. But two, I have heard you say, this was on one of the most recent podcasts in the last month where you're like, you know, I, you said something like, I believe our pre-rut is a little later than a lot of these guys in the Midwest saying that, oh, the, the October 26th time frame, or, you know, cause Jake is, is real big on that. Oh, someday late October, everything pops. But I heard you say something that, that sparked my interest the other day that you believe the, the pre-rut, at least in Southern Ohio, big wood stuff seems to be more of a November 1st time frame. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I think it has to do with, um, you know, how far South, I'm, I'm, I'm hunting. I think that has something to do with it where Jake is a little further North. Mm-hmm. So I actually think that we're probably, probably somewhere around five to eight days later. Um, and we're really based on trying to base that around um, the lockdown phase. So peak breeding during November and then where we see those fawns drop. But um, we see most of the scraping activity in that pre-rut with deer or bucks starting to range out a little bit somewhere i'm gonna i'm gonna call it halloween to like the fifth or sixth um now of course there's there's gonna be those that pop up in in estrus but i think that's where we really start to see the kind of the peak pre-rut activity um going on and a good way to monitor that monitor that in your area um is that scraping activity so we try to gear that around when deer are using those scrapes, hitting those scrapes. And then the day that they start to dry up, if, if, if a scrape has been really, really hot and active and you know, a two or three day window pops up where there's no activity, we're correlating that to, okay, well, he, he found his first hot dough. He's locked down with that dough or bringing that dough for the first couple of days. So um, that's, that's how we kind of gauge that um, time frame that we're considering pre-rut. Okay. That's, that's interesting. I think, uh, I know last year I observed and, and then missed a buck on November 1st, hit a, hit a scrape. Um, and it was very pre-ruddy type, uh, type activity. And I wonder, you know, myself, I tend to burn some vacation time there late October, but I think if I was, if I was going to hunt the big woods, maybe I need to be burning that vacation time 
super late, like not necessarily like the 22nd, 23rd of October, really waiting for that Halloween time frame and obviously November one. Do you, I guess in, in your data of trail cams, do you not see the, a, a switch until the Halloween as far as daylight on scrapes tend to heat up? Because I thought, you know, from traditional perspective, Cody and Andre, they, they see their farm really heat up somewhere around October 15th, uh, starting on scrapes. And I'd be the, that's a totally different ball game than what I'm hunting. But it sounds like from your data, you're saying, eh, the pre-rut really doesn't hit that, that area until then. Well, we're seeing scraping activity in late October too. So, okay. I mean, and I'm going to call it the, like basically the same dates you are 21st, 22nd, 23rd. We'll start to see activity really start to pick up. Okay. But it's not, it's not, I mean, we're talking uh, a volume of cameras somewhere between, and we've had up to hundred cameras out in that location. We don't have quite that many out this year, but generally speaking overall, it doesn't get consistent until, that Halloween, that Halloween timeframe, but there are deer, um, increasing their daylight movement. Okay. The 20, 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Um, and again, I'm, I would probably focus most of that around, uh, weather fronts. Okay. L um, let me, I've got a kind of a section here ah, in my notes that is labeled, um, some trail cam talks and running trail cams in the big woods. I think, um, that's no easy task. I got to believe you've got some tips or some tactics that, that a guy like me who now I've got a small arsenal can, can learn from. Um, for example, I feel like running cams in the big woods to go put one camera out sometimes is a mission. Like it's a 30, 40 minute walk, let's say a 10 minute to hang an elevated set and then a 30, 40 minute walk out versus I've experimented with driving the forest road and plopping two or three on these little hogbacks and saddle features hundred yards in where I can pop in and out and scatter four or five, even though there may be B minus type locations or B locations. I'm, I'm just trying to volume shoot at that point. Um, what do you see as far as a more successful trail cams tactics? Do you go, do you, do you spend a long time to get back into the best location to run them there versus kind of volume shooting, maybe close to the road for, for just inventory purposes? Well, um, what we're doing is probably not, extremely applicable for a lot of people because of the volume of cameras. Right. Sure. Um, but we do both. And to your point, um, hanging cameras that are easy to access from, from the road, we just, um, we hung a camera back in, I'm going to say July that, uh, is 80 yards from the road and had shooter bucks on it in daylight, late September. Um, so, and it's very, very huntable. So I think you can do both. But to be the most efficient, what I would say is I like to, I like to run my cam cameras annual. So there's, there's cameras that I have out that I'm not really moving them around. When I, when I find a spot I want to put a camera, I'm leaving it there for 365 until I can look at the data that it's giving me and decide, okay, this is, you know, this is happening or this is not happening. I need, you know, next year I need to move that camera. But with uh, trying to be the most efficient, I like to kind of cast a wide net. So I'll find areas I want to put cameras. And then once I get a, a picture of a deer that I have interest in, um, or maybe there's several deer that I have interest in in the area, then that's when I'll go back and look at the um, topo map or e-scout and say, okay, I need to go put boots on the ground, look at this train feature, look to see if there's any sign there. And then I will start uh, lining up cameras to kind of 
figure out what exactly is going on in that area. So um, we do both, but I think the, the best way to, best way to get started is to start with those inventory cameras and seeing if there's anything there that sparks any interest. And then you can go ahead, throw your backpack on with, you know, five, six cameras and spend a day going, going out and putting them up because it's, um, you know, like you said, in the big woods, it's not an easy task to go pull three or four cards. I could take you all day. Yeah. And something that I think you said there, that's something I saw this year was, so I, I had purchased, you know, a decent amount of cams over the last two years. And I'm like, all right, I want to deploy these, but like not having that destination in mind in farm country or the big woods, you, you, you kind of know, Oh, I'd like to throw it in on, on this hogback, but you spend 10 minutes looking for the right tree, you yeah. know? And, 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 and so I think what you said there, at least the, that's going to resonate with me is, you know, find your locations that effectively run, you know, that, that do well at, at getting the inventory, but having the tree in mind, that's literally saves you 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, looking for that exact location. Um, what about the fact like, um, time of year to deploy cameras because it's not like a bean field game that it is in farm country. Are you saying for the average guy who's got a trail cam arsenal somewhere between 10 and 20 is, is August kind of the route to do as far as getting those out. And that way you've got some of that September shifting type information to, to start your season. When would you, you recommend a, a guy like myself uh, deploying those cameras and, and then kind of let the hunting season take you where, where it goes at that point? Yeah, I, I would say do exactly what you just said. Um, probably that first week of August, I would start to start to gear up and start putting cameras out with those fall shift type um, locations in mind, not necessarily summertime stuff, unless unless you're around fresh, fresh clear cuts. So cuts five, six years or younger, I think uh, you can run cameras there all year round. And like I said, I don't, I'm not sure that um, the majority of bucks are probably – not going to shift a whole lot. Um, but for fall type stuff in the areas that uh, you don't have any of those, any of that structure or those young clear cuts in late August, typically we're starting to see that shift or those, those bucks come back to their range um, around the 18th, 16th, 17th, 18th. So I'd like to have my cameras out before then. Okay. Um, so that's why I'm saying the first, first week of August. Okay. Um, let me ask this. I've got a note here. Scrapes. Like we have had good luck running them on scrapes year round as far as just, you know, occasionally once a month that, that buck won't be in there. And then all of a sudden once a month, he sticks his head in that licking branch, not, not working it hard, but a really good way to gather inventory that, Hey, he's somewhere in this, this, this cell of, of, of hills and, and terrain features. Um, I, you're nodding your head. Yes. That's, that seems to be the most popular way to do it. Yeah. In my, in my mind, like in the big woods, low deer density areas, um, you know, sign is hard to come by outside of scrapes, at least for me. So the areas that I'm in, I'm, you know, I'm typically not seeing a bunch of signpost rubs, giant rubs everywhere. It's really hard to cut a track because it's rocky, hard, hard ground. It's typically dry. Um, so back cutting, you know, cutting a track and backtracking deer is not really, it, you can do it. It's very difficult. Mm -hmm. So that's exactly what we're doing is focusing those, most of those cameras, uh, um, around, around perennial or annual community scrapes. Have you had any luck, uh, trying some sort of mock scrape where hear, hear me out on this, this year, I tried to deploy a mock scrape on like a, um, almost like a hogback, uh, type feature that wasn't terribly far off the road. I tried to pick a beech tree cause that seems to be a popular tree. 
my thought was if I could deploy a mock scrape and work it successfully, this camera is a quick and easy card pull. Um, and TBD, if, if the result on that, I, I just haven't pulled that card yet, but like it, are mock scrapes something you have successfully done? Are you just better off to mark these down January, February when you're winter scouting and use those that have been there year over year? For the last three or four years, we've always used natural scrapes on those camera locations. Um, this year we did deploy some, some mock scrapes in July. Um, and they're based on terrain features that, um, there wasn't, maybe there was an added feature there, like a clear cut, but it's several hundred yards away. And those really, those, um, those mock scrapes that we put up were as much for trail camera inventory as for someone who had interest in hunting that spot and just trying to sweeten it up a little bit for a specific shot location. Sure. Um, as much and as the trail camera inventory. Have you guys pulled those cards? Any sort of results? Um, we have pulled one of them. Um, a couple of them we have not touched yet. We, we'll, we'll probably go ahead and pull those in the next couple of weeks. So that next trip down there, the one that we did pull um, there, that mock scrape was in a saddle and deer are using the saddle probably more without working that, um, that mock scrape um, than they are working it. So um, it's kind of, I don't know. Yeah. That spot's kind of hit or miss. I, you know, we don't have enough data really around it to, to, to tell anyone, you know, it works or it doesn't work. Yeah. What about uh rub lines? I have a note here. Ask Chad about rub lines. Do you guys ever see success running on, on, on rub lines? I have not. Okay. And part of that is because um, I have a hard time finding rubs in, a, in those areas. Uh, you know, the low deer density area, I don't think that those, those deer lay down as much sign. Mm -hmm. um, now when I get down into those bottoms, there's, there's rubs and there's, there's, there's scrapes. Um, so we will throw cameras, um, you know, in those areas, but typically they're not on a dedicated rub line. It's usually on a scrape or some type of terrain feature, a point or a trail coming down into that bottom, not necessarily, you know, directly over a rub or rub line. Okay. What about a, any sort of signpost rub? Like, uh, sometimes I feel like, um, in the big woods, especially here in Ohio, you'll have like one or two lone cedar trees on, on, on a, you know, and those just get torched every year. Have you guys ever run a cam on that? Is that a successful method? Um, we have never done that, uh, but you are correct. If you can find a cedar tree in Southern Ohio, it's going to be rubbed year over year over year down to the point where sometimes they look like a toothpick. I mean, they're just wheeled down to nothing. Yeah. Um, we do have some spots that um, have those types of signpost rubs on those cedar trees. But again, we're typically trying to look uh, at direction of travel and placing a camera there on the direction of travel or that terrain feature, not necessarily the, the signpost rub. Okay, I need to do that. I, I literally know of a couple of those where it's a, it's a solo seater and it's that right size, it's that baseball round, um, maybe a little thicker. And dude, like it'll be rubbed uh, up to my neck. Yeah, because it, it, yep. the tree bends. Yeah, I need to. I, I, I think for a personal mission, for a personal experiment, I need to do that. And um, our thought process, our thought thought process behind those those signpost rubs, is okay. Well, if a deer's traveling that terrain feature, uh, he may or may not hit that. I mean, he could. But if we put that camera on that signpost rub, uh, a deer coming through using that terrain feature, if he doesn't hit it, then we don't have it on camera. But if we put it on the terrain feature, whether he hits it or not, we're, we're getting him. So in, in my mind, the reason that we don't do that is because we want to be able to be more efficient and, and not mm -hmm. possibly miss pictures. I'm not, again, it'd be an interesting case study to kind of put two cameras in that location and see 
you know, now, how now many Chad, he actually passed. Chad, I would think from a content perspective, if you guys had a video of a dude just raking this cedar, like that would be a pretty sweet video for Exodus. It would. It so, would. so, so I think we need to make this mission happen. Um, just, <laughs> but uh, let me ask this final question here um, before we wrap up. I have noticed a, a great oh, improvement in my trail cam game when I went from running four or five trail cams that, 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 that did good to now I've got more of an arsenal of 20. Mm-hmm. And I, the whole aspect of volume shooting where I can take this hog back plus this scrape and then maybe one camera way at a distance on a, on a clear cut uh, trail system, you know, it's, it's, it's opened my eyes. When, when you go to the big woods, I got to think that a, a volume shooting technique is, is, is important. It is. Um, specifically, if you're trying to track down a single deer and you're not, um, you know, hunting pinch points or doe bedding or something during the rut, there's, in my mind, there's no other way to do it than, than have those cameras kind of spaced out in the area. And then when you get the same deer on three or four different cameras and you can really pinpoint um, those terrain features that he's using or that line of movement, um, whether it's from food to bed or bed to food or, or, or whatever. So I would definitely agree that volume based cameras in the big woods. Um, I don't know any other way to do it. Sure. I, uh, I ran an experiment and this was farm country. I had a trail camera 20 yards apart. One was on the beans. The other was on the CRP. Um, and the CRP camera picked up two two shooter bucks that the bean camera never got 20 yards away and, yeah. and uh, I heard this on your podcast oh I think from one of the PA Big Woods guys he likes to leave his truck with at least two trail cameras so he can deploy one at like a, a what we'll call C plus B minus location and keep another camera to, to try and find the 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 best thing he's looking for on his boots to ground mission, because otherwise if you take one camera, you end up never deploying it. I, I I've seen that happen to myself so many times. Um, what's your trail cam bag of choice. If you're going to, to, to run trail cams, what's, what's your, your go-to bag. What pack am I carrying? Yeah. Uh, my scouting packs, uh, that QU 1850, that same pack that you yep. have. Okay. Um, that's, uh, you know, for a while it was my, my, kind of do it all pack i've kind of shifted gears a little bit because i didn't really care for it as a tree stand pack but yeah that's the pack that i'm carrying batteries um usually five six seven cameras in um you know first for a scouting mission or trail cam deployment that's that's the pack okay all right very good chad anything else um i i do want to let you plug the uh the the exodus channels um anything else before we wrap up here Nope. That's uh, just good luck to everybody. Um, stay positive, keep, keep grinding, keep working hard. And uh, that's the only way to do it. Yeah. Uh, Chad, w- uh, any big uh, uh, content coming out from you guys, obviously keep, keep dialed in on the podcast game and the YouTube channel. Anything else? Uh, we have scrape week coming in a couple of weeks. So there'll be a, a week of content all geared around, you know, bucks, giant bucks using scrapes, how they use them, why they use them, um, philosophies and tactics, how to hunt them. Oh. So keep your eyes peeled for that. That should be pretty good. Um, outside of that, just the, the normal stuff on YouTube and um, podcast. Awesome, Chad. I really appreciate you jumping on here. Guys, uh, appreciate you guys listening. Hope you enjoyed this Big Woods talk with, with Chad. I think that's all we got. Team Harder and Bucks, we're out. <laughs>